The Bible says this in the book of Ruth chapter 1. That it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi. I, I, I think, I, I, listen, I, I know I don't have to teach this to you. Y'all know this. The name Elimelech means my God is king. My God is king. I don't know if you mark in your Bible or not. If you don't, and take notes. I encourage you to take notes. But I, I would note that. My God is king. And his wife Naomi's name means pleasant. And uh, you know, when you, when you study the word grace... The word grace uh, is defined by a lot of terms. Pleasant is one of them. Uh, Grace is pleasant. And I believe that Naomi was a very pleasant and gracious woman. So you have my God is king and pleasant. This gracious wife who has two sons... Their name are Malon and Chilion, and respectively, their name means sick and weak. And I find that very fascinating. That my God is king and pleasant, give birth and somehow raise sick and weak. And uh, you have to ask yourself the question, how does that happen? But I travel the country and... And uh, we go through, you know, Washington, D.C. and walk those halls of Congress and visit the state capitals throughout America. And you have to ask yourself the question, I hope I didn't speak too soon about y'all's weather-making business. But, but when I think about our country and I think back to my childhood and I think uh, of the history that I've studied about our country, I wonder how in the world we became so sick and weak. When we go from church to church, and y'all know that there is a scourge of sick and weak churches. And let me, let, let, me just, let me just pause for a second and say, not everybody's church has to be like my church. Or has to be like your church. And uh, we're not doing that. We're not comparing churches. and We're not beating up on everybody who don't do it just like us. But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of sick and very weak churches that make up the landscape of America. I remember, I remember being invited to the White House one day back under the past administration, and 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 we we were making a lot of efforts there to do our work, and uh, and I told uh, I told uh, some of the past administration staff, I said, you you guys get very big eyed about these mega churches and and uh, these mega church pastors, but I said, if you could see the topography of America, you would see that our nation is made up of a lot of little steep. That stick up through the topography of communities and back in hollers and hills and mountains and plains of our country. And I said they're made up of about a hundred or less. Many of many of most of them have a hundred people or less, but they love God and they love the Bible. They're head over heels with a in love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, those are the people I want you to remember, and those are the pastors we're trying to get you to meet. But let's just be honest, even many of them have grown very sick and weak, right? 
families. I appreciate the marriage teaching efforts uh, from brother and sister Rains in their church and, and the families. Our, our, our nation is just, just torn apart by sick and weak homes. And you wonder how the world did we get in this shape? How did these, uh, how did this couple raise uh, a sick and weak, uh, two sick and weak boys? And, and I think the answer is given to us here in verse number two when we find out that they came into the country of Moab and continued there. There's, there's what happened. This is it. This is the clue. This is the answer. They were out of place. What's happened to America? We got out of place. What's going on with churches? We're out of place. What's happened to the families? We're out of place. We've got things out of place. People are out of place. The, 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 the place of the Lord has been misplaced and replaced and I'm telling you they're out of place why did this family this couple Elimelech and Naomi raise two boys sick and weak because they dwelt in Moab they never should have gone here and we all know that right we understand that all of this took place in the days when the judges ruled. All, all that uh, is unfolding in the book of Ruth is happening in those days. Now, he, 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 walk with me. Walk with me through this for just a minute. First of all, we are told that during this time, here in Bethlehem, there is a famine in the land. And you have to ask yourself the question, how or why? Why is there a famine in Bethlehem? What has happened? And I think that's the way we need to learn to study the Bible. You need to always ask yourself the question, who is talking and to whom are they talking? From what are they speaking and, and where are they talking from? What is happening here? Why is that happening here? Why is that happening now? Has this ever happened before? Has this ever happened here? When it happened somewhere else, why did it happen then? What does the Bible say about that? If you studying an Old Testament passage is there something in the New Testament we can hearken to if we're studying in the New Testament is there an Old Testament partner that we could link to and I do think we need to study the Bible on that fashion do you believe that do you believe that so I asked myself the question, why is there a famine in the land? And to get this answer, I think you've you got to go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, please. And I want you to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, look at this. In Deuteronomy chapter number 28. And Deuteronomy chapter 28, by the way, was one uh, many of our founding fathers loved and hearkened to. And when they were found in America, remember, there were, well, I, don't, I don't mean to get off on history stuff. But 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 when we were found in America, we mean in America when the people when our founding fathers were found in America, there was no political Israel. There was the land of Israel, there were the cities, but they they lost their political identity. We all know that, right? The Assyrians, uh, you know, took captive uh, the northern kingdom, the and Babylon took captive the southern kingdom of Judah, and Israel lost their political identity. Never got that back until 1948, right? We all know that their statehood was gone and many of our founding fathers had it in their heart to reestablish a new Israel and they found these promises that God had made to Israel in Deuteronomy 28 and they uh, adopted them for us here in America. Do you believe that? God was making Israel some specific promises. He said to them in Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, it's going to pass if 
And thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments which I command thee this day that the Lord thy God will set thee high above all nations of the earth. Now is that not what God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12? You've got to make a great nation out of you, right? The only, way, the only way you're going to be a nation above any other nation in the world is you're going to have to hearken diligently unto my voice and do my commandments. That's what God said to them, correct? And this is what he said. He said, all these blessings shall come on thee, overtake thee, and if thou uh, shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed, did you notice that? Blessed will be your field. Blessed shalt thou, uh, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, blessed shall be the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Did y'all catch that? God said, I'll bless your ground. He said this, blessed shall be thy basket, that's your harvest. And blessed shall be thy store, that's the storehouse. And blessed shall thou be when thou comest in. And blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord, I like this even, the Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Just because you're walking with God, just because you are hearkening unto His voice and trying to do His word, doesn't mean you won't have an enemy, right? As a matter of fact, you will have an enemy. Can I say enemies come natural? You don't have to make an enemy. Enemies come natural. Friends have to be made. That's why the Lord told us if we're going to have friends, we have to show ourselves friendly. You have to make friends. You don't have to make an enemy. Enemies are always going to show up. God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send your enemies fleeing seven different ways. And I'm making this promise that I'll do that for you if you will hearken to my voice, if you will obey my word. But the rest of the chapter goes on to tell us that if you don't hearken to my voice, and if you don't obey my word, then what I'm going to do instead of blessing you is I'm going to curse you. And so when we, get to, when we get to Ruth chapter number 1, and we find out that in Bethlehem, the house of bread, that there is a famine, that instead of crops, it's brown and barren and drought and dead. You, you have to know that according to the Word of God, these children of Israel have not been hearkening to the voice of the Lord. They have not been obeying God. Thus now they're facing a, a, a famine. Is everybody okay with that? Best as I know how, we Barney Fife deduce it. Right? Studying the Bible. And all of this took place in the days when the judges ruled. Now, we're fortunate that the book of Judges is right next door here prior to the book of Ruth. So we go back. And we've, if you're going to study Ruth, you've got to study Judges and, and, and know what was it like in the days when the Judges ruled. And you, you'll find out that during those days, Israel would, for example, they would uh, hearken to the voice of God. They would uh, obey His word. They'd live under blessings. But like many of us, they'd stray and they'd wander and they'd begin to turn a deaf ear to God and they'd begin to ignore His Word and God would begin to lift off His blessings and usher in uh, cursing. And instead of the enemy fleeing, the enemy's going to come in and overtake us and, and rule over us. Right? 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 
Ah, uh, then their hearts would get broken. They'd begin to cry. They'd begin to call on God. And you know what God would do? Uh, for example, chapter 3 of Judges. Uh, let's see here. What is that? Verse 9. God would raise up a deliverer. And God would uh, deliver them from the hand of the enemy. And God would restore blessings. And the people would be glad. But in a period of time, they'd stray again and wander again and falter again. Sounds like a lot of our testimonies, don't it? Don't have to be. Not supposed to be. But unfortunately, too often is. Right? Right? <laughs> Uh, commentary. Commentary is given twice in the book of Judges describing the days when the judges ruled. Chapter 17, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges ends that way. Very last verse says that in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, neighbor, this is the dilemma that you and I are faced with every morning. When we awaken from our slumber, we're faced with that dilemma. Am I today going to do that which is right in the eyes of God? Or am I going to do that which is right in my eyes? All day long, I'm faced with this option. Amen. Right? I don't want to preach too long. And I've got a lot to say. You would think that we would have learned from our founding couple. What a horrible decision it is to do that which is right in our eyes. You've got Adam and Eve who are perfectly made. Clothed in the bright glory of God. Living in a perfect garden where there are so many trees from which they ate from that which grew from above. But one day they ate from the very tree growing in the midst of the garden that was good to the eyes. And they desired to be made wise. They ate from the tree of knowledge. Can I say something tonight? This thirst for knowledge is one of the biggest downfalls of all humanity. It was Adam and Eve's problem. It was uh, the problem in Noah's day. It's a problem in our day. Ever learning. We're never able to come to the knowledge of We probably got some of the smartest people that's ever lived on the planet alive today. But some of the most unwise people that's ever lived. I want, think about this with me for a second. When I was pastoring in 2008, I started a Christian school. Now, I live in Tennessee. So, spring of 2009, Dustin, I took those kids to the space, to the space museum. That's another state. To the science museum in Oak Ridge. Spring of 2009, Pastor, the man who was leading uh, the talk for us as, a, a, as a, a, a touring group said that in their laboratories over there in Oak Ridge, spring of 2009, they could make an object. Can I borrow that bottle? 
they could make an object 75% disappear. And he held up an apple and he said, in our lab, he said, I'm not talking about an optical illusion where you just can't see it because we tricked you. No, no, no. He said, in our labs, we can make an object 70, and that was spring of, that was spring of 2009, 75% totally disappear. You know now they can do it 100%, right? Now don't, I know, listen, I, I did, took my glasses off so I cannot see your expressions. But I heard no gas and I heard nobody say, wow. I'm an old biology major and when he said that, I said, wow. Because that, that, that's amazing. It's kind of scary too, isn't it? Huh? You, there ain't nobody from Sunbright High School where I graduated from. Doing that. That's right. <laughs> Notice I'm not employed there. <laughs> Y'all with me? Yes, sir. You, that's smart. Probably atheist. <laughs> Probably don't even believe there's a God, but they can make an object totally disappear. Yeah. Y'all with me? Yeah. You know, Belshazzar and Daniel was a great Babylonian king. And a great Babylonian leader who had a dream of a tree that grew all the way to heaven. And the fruit of that tree was meat for all the earth. But by the time God got finished with him, he pawed at the ground eating grass like an animal. And by the time God got finished with Adam and Eve, they were eating from fruit which grew from above. But they were stooped and bowed over, digging in the earth, fighting thorns and thistlings and pestilence, sweat running down their brow, burning their eyes. Every time that sweat drop had burned their eye, it was a reminder you did what was right in your eyes and not what was right in my eyes. Now you're paying the consequences, Right? And you and I are faced with that same decision and dilemma every single day. When the guy cuts you off on the interstate, when you're sitting in front of your computer. Some of you who may have heard me preach before, and I may have told your church that progress this, but I affectionately call my wife. Her nickname from me is Holy Ghost. I call her that affectionately because she has, you know, always uh, reminded me of whatsoever things she had told me. And, uh, and, and she's not watching, so I can say. And, and, and oft t- it tells me what I should do. So. Some of you know she had a terrible car accident last October and broke her back, still suffering greatly from that wreck. And and so uh, earlier this year, I was taking her to the doctor one day. Now, Dustin can tell you that Oliver Springs, Tennessee is a speed trap. (laughs) I hate it. It's an unlegislated tax, and I don't like it. Of course, I was speeding. I was going too fast. I saw the blue lights come on, and and uh, so I pulled off, I pulled off side of the road, and pulled up in front of this tire shop. And of course, is that cup got anything in it? Can I borrow it? I'm going to give it back to you. 
And so I saw an old fellow come out of the tar shop. He's staring at me while I'm waiting on the cop to get out of the car. I pointed my finger and I said, hey, you need to get back to work. <laughs> Miss, Miss Starr said, Bobby. Oh, she said, I thought you were talking to the cop. And I was going to tell you, he is. <laughs> Pulled you over. The cop comes to the window. He's so gracious. I told him when I was taking my wife. Thank, thankfully, she's wearing a neck brace. That works marvelously. <laughs> he said, carry one. Carry one in your car. He let me go. Then Sister Holy Ghost said, I sure hope that man isn't sitting in the back row of the next church you're preaching at. I said, thanks, Sister Holy Ghost. How, how quick we just want to do what's right in our own eyes. Spout off. Get angry. Do it to drop a hat. Right? We're faced with that dilemma of am I going to do what's right in his eyes or am I going to do what's right in my eyes? If you've ever had the privilege of going to Bethlehem, when you're in Bethlehem, even to this day, you're up on the Judean mountain. Jerusalem is just four, four or five miles on north of you. Uh, when you're in Bethlehem, but even to this day, when, you, when you're up on the mountain, it's going to drop off down into that Jordan River Valley. And, and, and when you're in Bethlehem, just southeast of you is the Dead Sea. And just on the east side of the Dead Sea is that plateau where Moab was. And you can see that from a distance when you're in Bethlehem, even to the day. And I can imagine Elimelech being in Bethlehem when it's nothing but brown and dead and barren and, and drought and famine. But he peers off into the distance and he sees the green growing on top of Moab and reason within his heart, that's where I should take my family. And it seems right, don't it? It seems right. That we leave the brown and the dead to go to the green. But they're pagans. They're enemies to Israel. They're not even allowed in the house of God. We'll find out later they're known as the washpot of God. That's no place for you to take your family. But he did. He did what was right in his eyes. And he took his family there and he never made it back. And his boys never made it back. Appreciate your testimony, sister, about your sister, right? Your daughter. For every one of these stories where they went away but came back and we rejoice. But for every one of them, there's 30 more that never, ever come back. What a horrible risk we run to go away and do only what we think is right versus what is right in the eyes of God. Is everybody with me? And now we're left with three grieving widows. Naomi knows they should have never come. And she is bitter and broken. 
And the land that she lived on with her husband in Bethlehem, she now has lost all rights to. No legal rights to that land anymore. As a matter of fact, she says in Ruth chapter 1 verse 20, at the end of verse 21, she says, Girls, the Almighty hath afflicted me. And that word afflicted means broken. Matter of fact, it, just, it doesn't just mean to be broken. It means you could hear the breaking. She says, Girls, you have heard the Almighty break me. You ever broke a bone and hurt it? I've got some health issues. I've been having a lot of frequent falls. And uh, I fell a couple of months ago and I broke, broke this rib right above my heart. And you could hear it. <laughs> Naomi says, I heard God break me. You heard God break me. And I am broken. And I'm barren. And I'm bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Pleasant. You call me Mara. I'm bitter, I'm broken, and by the way, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You go back to your people. You go back to your gods. You just leave me alone. I like this. Ruth, can y'all hear me? Ruth says this. I don't know anything about the land where you came from. I've never been there. But what little bit I've heard you tell me about that land, Naomi. I want it to be my land. Now, Naomi, I don't know anything about Judaism. All I know about Judaism is what little bit you've talked to me about. I don't know anything about your Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I I don't know anything about that. What little bit I know is just what I've learned from you. I don't know anything about your people. But what little bit I've learned from you, I want those people to be my people. And I don't know your God, but I want to tell you, Naomi, I've been listening to you talk a little about Him, and I want Him to be my God. I'm just telling you, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going with you. And they did. She did. And the Bible says they came back at verse 22 at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, on mine and your calendar, that would be April. Barley harvest in April, wheat harvest in May. I, I, I bring that up because in the early part of April is when she's going to meet Boaz. And I bring that up because that's when they celebrate Passover now. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if on the same day she meets Boaz, wouldn't be the same day that one day way off in the distance, Jesus dies, is buried, and rises again. Just knowing how God works and everything. I don't know anything about this law, but Naomi, you've been talking to me about a kinsman. And how that the near kin can redeem property back to someone in a shape like yours. Wouldn't it be good if we could meet your near kinsman? Now she goes into a field to glean the barley because they got to have something to eat. 
And thank God for those who aren't lazy but's willing to roll up their sleeve and go out and do something. Can I get an amen? Wouldn't that be good welfare reform? And she don't have a map. And she don't know who owns what. Just so happens she shows up in a field. It just so happens to belong to Boaz. She meets him. Now I want you to fast forward to chapter 3. Now I want you to understand lots, a lot of reapers. But there's only one threshing floor. Everybody's got to share the same threshing floor. And uh, you show up at the threshing floor and you wait your turn. Often you have to spend the night. Now, I don't want to be off color. I want everybody to listen to me. Boaz says about Ruth, she is a virtuous woman. Everything that's related to Ruth is sacred, holy, virtuous, and right. Is everybody with me? But you do need to understand the context that it is a common practice for in the night when the men are staying around the threshing floors, prostitutes would often come and offer themselves to these men. So you can imagine what must have went through the mind of Boaz when in chapter 3 and verse number 8, he awakens to find a woman lying at his feet. Is everybody okay with that? He says, who art thou? In verse 9, and she says, I'm Ruth, thine handmaid. Then she says, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. What is happening here? To understand that, you got to go back with me to Numbers chapter 15, please. Now I promise you, we're going somewhere. Brother Dustin knows I, I, I travel back roads to get you, when I'm preaching, to get you somewhere. Numbers chapter 15, God's given instruction to the men of Israel. In Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, God says, speaking to the children of Israel, Numbers chapter 15, verse 38, bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of their borders a ribbon of blue. It shall be unto you for friends that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Watch this. And do them, and that you seek not after your own heart or your own eyes, after which you used to go whoring, that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So what God instructed them to do was to sow fringe on the border of their outward garment with that ribbon of blue to serve as a constant reminder of God and our responsibility to God and God's Word and our responsibility to obey the Word of God. Is everybody okay with me saying that? Do you remember when the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. You remember Saul got jealous and chased David all over the country trying to kill him? Y'all remember that? You remember when David went down to En Gedi? And he and his men hid in the cave of En Gedi. And it just so happened that's the very cave that Saul came in to relieve himself. And David's men says, here's your chance, David. Kill him. He said, no. 
No, I will not touch God's anointed, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And he snuck up there and he cut off the corner of his garment. Y'all remember that? Then it smote his heart. Felt so guilty that when Saul left, David snuck outside the cave door, called down to Saul, held up what he cut off and said, I'm so sorry I did wrong. Why did he do wrong? Because he cut off that fringe and that ribbon of blue. That very thing that was to remind Saul of God and God's word. Can I tell us, can I say this tonight? It's a dangerous thing when you and I become a stumbling block and we get between people and God and people and God's word. You remember and Isaiah said, I, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Do you suppose they couldn't see the Lord high and lifted up before because Uzziah took up all the space and required all of the attention? It's a dangerous thing when we start demanding our way, our preferences, You look at me. You listen to me. Too many pastors in America are teaching their people, do you you obey me? Instead of teaching them how to obey the Word of God. You better listen to me. I'm the man of God. If I have to hear that again, I'll throw up. I'm telling you, we need to teach people how to listen to the Holy Ghost. And the Word of God. Get out of the way a little bit. Let people see Jesus. Sometimes people won't get right with God because they've been watching us and they know we're nothing but a lying, hypocritical, fake and phony. And I don't want to be that. Do you want to be that? I don't want to be that. You remember in Matthew 9, is it? Woman with the issue of blood. Ain't even supposed to be in public. But she comes sneaking out. Sneaking in the crowd. Because she heard Jesus was passing by. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be made whole. And she ain't the only one ever done that. Matthew Matthew chapter 14 tells us there's a whole multitude of people that touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was made perfectly whole. What gave them such an idea? Malachi, the prophet, said that this son, capital S-U-N, son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And the word wings and the word friends and the word skirt all come from the same Hebrew word means all talking about the same thing. That woman says, the prophet said that God said there'd be healing in the friends. And when that woman said, if I can just touch his hem, you know what she was doing? This is an act of faith. She was saying, I... Believe the word of God. And may I say, is that not what you and I are supposed to do to get born again? And is that not what you and I are supposed to do to walk by faith and live for God and walk with God? Believe his word and do what it says. Huh? (laughs) When that Ruth told Boaz, spread thy skirt over thine handmaid, for I hear that you are a near kinsman. You know what she's forcing him to do? She's forcing Boaz to look at that fringe and look at that ribbon of blue and be reminded of the Word of God. And she's asking him, are you going to do what's right in your eyes or are you going to do what's right in the eyes of God? Because Naomi's back here broken and bitter and barren and she needs a redeemer to get her back on that property. You're the near kinsman. What are you going to do? 
I don't know a lot about your law, but I know, I know a little bit about that. And your God says, you as near kinsmen are responsible for redeeming this. So what are you going to do? And he's forced to consider his options. And he says to her, I am a near kinsman, but there is one that's a nearer kinsman than me. So in chapter 4, he meets with him. In the gate of the city, he meets with the nearer kinsman. In chapter 4 of Ruth, he says, uh, Are you going to redeem this property or are you not? And he says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 4, I will redeem it. Well, hallelujah. Get to it. Because Ruth doesn't come to see me. That's Naomi's daughter-in-law, the dead man's wife. And by the way, you know, when you do redeem this property back for Naomi, you are going to have to marry Ruth and uh, raise a child for Malon's namesake. Ain't she a Moabite? Oh, yeah. Forget it. I won't do it. Sir? Yeah. I hate the Moabites. You know we hate the Moabites. They come over here during this not long ago. You know, and we've, they've ruled over us for 18 years. Bunch of pagans. I hate their guts, and I'm not going to do it. Out of pure, simple, pure prejudice. He said, no, I won't. And he plucks off his shoe in Ruth chapter 4, verse 8, and gave it to Boaz. What's that? Well, you got to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 to find out what that is. Now, I don't care what the Baptist told you. I'm telling you the Bible tells us what that is. Amen. In Ruth chapter 25, verse number 5 says, if, a, if brethren dwell together and one of them die... And have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. It shall be that the firstborn which she bareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, and his name shall not uh, put uh, shall his that his name be not put out of Israel. If a man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My Husband's brother refuseth. Not he can't. He won't. He refuseth to raise up into his brother a name of Israel, and he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. And the elders of the city should call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall the brother's wife come to him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, which is the lowest form of showing disrespect to anybody. And shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. And he'll be known the rest of his life as the no-shoe man, the man that refused to obey the word of God. And this old rascal told Boaz, Well, you know, I can't do it because it might mar my inheritance. You know what he was doing? He was using his boy as an excuse. You know, if I marry her, somehow or another it might mess up the inheritance for my son, and it would not at all. Right. Sunday school lesson, I got to teach it. Dead brother, widow. 
living brother, wife, and children. This is his property. He'll leave it as an inheritance to these children. But he comes over here because his brother died, marries her, they have a child. Now this property which did belong to the dead brother can be this son and that'll go, don't have one thing to do with this property over here. It's just one big line excuse to opt out of doing the word of God. Now he's going to, you talk about marring something. You have marring inheritance. The rest of this boy's existence, he's going to be known as the boy whose daddy wouldn't obey God. What a horrible way to live life. Somebody that just won't do it, won't obey God. Raise children. Children watching daddy won't obey God. And if the word of God ain't no more important to daddy than that, then it's probably not that big a deal to me. What a shame. It's what the book of Ruth is about. The whole book of Ruth is about, are you going to do what's right in your eyes? Or are you going to do what's right in God's eyes? And it's about people who had that choice. Those who made the right choice like Ruth. Those who didn't like Orpah. Those who did like Boaz. Those who didn't like this other guy. The no-shoe guy. This is where me and you live every day of our life. Dress up, go to camp meeting. But back home in private, confronted with, am I going to do what's right in the eyes of God? TV's on. Conversation between husband and wife. Disagreement breaks out. Sitting in front of computers. Fooling with these phones on which there's a whole world of disaster. But Boaz says this. Boaz says, you know what, pal? You can nod if you want to. But I had a mama who was known throughout all of the land as nothing but a harlot. They didn't think much of her either. There were some Israelite men that came to see her one day and showed her the mercy and grace of God. And it changed her life. Because it changed her life, it changed our home. Because it changed her home, it changed me. And I grew up in a home not of a harlot, but of a follower of God. And so I want to tell you, I know what it's like to be somebody that people don't like. I know what it's like to have a mama that people didn't like, but God did. So you might not like Ruth. You may not want to marry her. You may not want to redeem it. You may not want to obey God. But I'll tell you what, I will. And God so honored them. He put them right slap dab in the family heritage of the Lord Jesus Christ and recorded their name right in Matthew chapter 1. What a blessing. It pays to do what's right in the eyes of God. And it never pays to do what seems right to us. Never. Never. And how do, we, how do we know? How do we know? This blessed old book that I hold in my hand. It's truth from beginning to end. And it's so odd and it don't fit with society and it don't often make sense and I don't even always like it. But it's right. And it's hard sometimes to go against the flow. <laughs> you remember, is it Elisha who the axe head, it fell off into the Jordan? 
<laughs> and he threw that stick in the water, and it swam. Didn't float. For it to swim and to be noticeable, it's got to be flowing against the current. And that's exactly because Jesus died and was buried and rose again, which is a great picture of what that stick represents. It's a good picture of Jesus coming to where we are and dying, being buried and resurrecting like that stick did. And then all of a sudden we're changed. And because he loves us and did for us what he did and showed us his grace and showed us his mercy, it does look like I can get out here and swim against the current. And it may not be popular and it may not, it may not even feel comfortable, but I'm going to do what's Amen. right in his eyes. Instead of just floating along doing what seems right to me. Amen. And I don't need to be wagging my finger telling people to get back to work. I don't need to be yelling at the driver that can't hear me anyhow. So what good's it doing? Poor old Sophie sitting over there in the side. Sophie, that's my service dog. You've met Sophie. She's grown. She don't need to hear me doing that. <laughs> Neither do these five grandchildren of mine. Oh, God, help me to get in this book and find out what is the heart and mind of the Lord, and it does matter, and it is here, and if you will read it and ponder on it and meditate on it, I promise you the Holy Ghost of God, who is the teacher, will illuminate your heart and eyes. He'll let you see you, and he'll let you see him, and he'll do an amazing work in your heart, and you too will know. If you don't know, search the scriptures and find out what is right about the situation I'm living in now because I don't want to just do what I want to do. I want to do what he wants to do. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to navigate through, but it's worth the effort because in the, in the long run, it pays. See, I come to preach this tonight because I knew we'd be the cream of the crop. And this is what I've been studying. I've been studying in Ruth the last little bit. See, this, I want you to go home and remember this. And I want you to go up in the morning and remember this dilemma and this choice. And then when you're faced with a decision, you do what's right in God's eyes. Be a Boaz. The name Boaz means strength. As a matter of fact, one of Solomon's temples had a great pillar that he called Boaz. And I want to be a pillar. My body's getting weaker. I have issues that's only going to deteriorate. Out. What period of time, I don't know. Physically, I will get weaker. But inwardly, I want that inward man become stronger and stronger. And so I just turned 52, and I'm ashamed of how less of this I know and how much I didn't do. So glad that he can, uh, what's that verse again? Redeem those years. Restore, that the, years restore those years that the locust. <laughs> I don't know how many years. I, my dad was 52 when I was born, and then he died when I was 24. So, you know, I think all this stuff. I hope I got more than 24 years. Maybe Jesus will come real quick. But, but what if I only had 24 years? Boy, I want these next 24 years to be strong Boaz years. And when I'm faced with the choice and the skirts laid out before me and that ribbon of blue catches my eye, I want to remember my responsibility to God. Yes, sir. Good.
Good preacher. That's real. Heads are bowed. Our musicians.